Thank you so much for joining us today for our LifePoint podcast. At LifePoint, we believe everyone's welcome, nobody's perfect, and with God, anything's possible. Hope you enjoy. Well, good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing today? Everybody good? Yeah. Welcome again to all of our guests, and if you're here with us for the first time, man, thank you so much. If you're here with us for the first time in a long time, thank you guys as well. My name is Danny Rivers, and I'm one of the pastors here uh, at LifePoint. Today's a big day for so many reasons. Um, We have had people get baptized today. We had people get baptized yesterday, which was amazing, and... um, you know, the Bible says in Acts that, uh, that when, when the Spirit of God came in Acts chapter 2, at the back end of that chapter, it says the Lord was adding to the church daily those who were being saved. And I just believe that we're entering into a season where God's just adding to our church. God's seeing brand new people saved, baptized, and it's just such an exciting season to be a part of that. So thank you, everybody, for being here. Uh, two quick things. Um, Christmas Eve services uh, this year uh, at 3 p.m., uh, 4.15 p.m. and 5.30 p.m. And by the way, Sabbath Sunday, not 10.15 p.m., but 10.15 a.m., everybody, in case you just heard that. Like, that's really late. I'm not staying up for that. 10.15 a.m., everybody. So we'd love for you to join us uh, on that. Um, here's a great question to start out the message today. Um, what's the greatest Christmas carol uh, ever written? Okay, so here's what I want you to do. Just take a second, tell somebody near you what your favorite one is at least. Go ahead, debate that for a second. Um, or you can just totally ignore me and do whatever you want to do right now. It's all, it's all good. What's the best one ever? Come on. There is a right answer, FYI. <laughs> uh, yes. Okay, just, just for the record... Um, my favorite one is Nat King Cole, um, the Christmas song. Come on, can anybody know what I'm talking about? Chestnuts roasting on an open fire. Yeah. Come on, Jack Frost nipping at your nose. Anyways, uh, go croon, crooner on you there for a minute. But it's not the greatest Christmas carol ever written. Um, it, the greatest Christmas carol ever written, in fact, the first Christmas carol ever written was written a little less than 2,000 years ago by a pregnant teenage Jewish girl named Mary. So here's the circumstances. She has been informed by an angel. Come on, how many of you know that's not normal? Come on, that she's gonna be, uh, have a baby. And the father is uh, God himself. Come on, everybody. So a little unusual. She's freaked out about this. She goes to her older cousin, Elizabeth's house. She stays there, looks like about three months. And when she shows up, Elizabeth, her older cousin pronounces Uh, A great blessing. Elizabeth, by the way, is also pregnant, but she's much too old to be pregnant, but she is anyways, and she's going to have a son. They're going to call him John. We call him John the Baptist now, okay? So pretty, pretty important deal. She pronounces a blessing on Mary. At the culmination of that blessing, Mary bursts forth in this this first Christmas carol. A couple things about this carol. Um, In many religious circles, it's known as the Magnificat, Right? You probably, some of you haven't heard it called like that, but in a lot of the sort of um, mainline denominations, that's what it's called uh, because she says, My soul magnifies the Lord. Uh, In in various seasons, um, Argentina, Guatemala, and India have banned these words that she says uh, from being recited in public or used as propaganda in any form. Now, why would a government? ban some lyrics from a teenage girl, right? Because nobody ever banned Santa Baby, right? Right? Nobody ever did that one. 
No, nobody ever banned grandma got run over by a reindeer, right? Probably they should have, but they haven't. So why ban her words? Well, for the leaders of these governments in the seasons that they did this, they were, these words that she says, we'll read them in a minute, were considered subversive. Um, it was thought that if people, especially downtrodden, uh, hopeless, marginalized, forgotten people ever, ever believed in the words she says, the things that God is up to, um, that they, it would incite hopeless people to take hope and to take action, in fact. So, so let's read the words that Mary says when Elizabeth blesses her. Mary said, my soul glorifies, a lot of translations say magnifies, which is where we get that magnificat. My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior, for he has been, now, now notice this, he has been mindful, meaning his attention, his thoughts are on the, notice what she says about herself, the humble state of his servant. Now she's talking about herself. She's saying that God himself has been mindful of, of, the, of me. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed. By the way, is, did it come to pass what she said? Do we right now in, in, in 2022, do we call Mary blessed? Yeah, we do, right? For the mighty one has done great things for me. And then she says, holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation, meaning for anybody who wants it. And, and all of that was safe and good until this part. This is the part that got banned. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are, say this with me, who are proud in their inmost thoughts. And he has brought down rulers from their thrones, but he has lifted up who? who? The humble. And then he has filled the hungry with good things, but he has sent the rich away empty. He has helped us serve in Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Now, this is the first Christmas carol ever composed. And it's really interesting language that Mary uh, uses. In some cases, these are direct quotes or indirect quote, quotes from some of the Old Testament prophets. In some cases, she's saying, this is what's going to happen now that this baby, when, it, when, he, when he's born, this is some of the stuff he's going to do. I want to dig into this in just a second, but I want to I say a few words first. But by the way, as I go through this, I'm saying all of these things today to give us, this is Legacy Sunday. This is a time where we, we reflect on the year that's been, what God's done through us, and what kind of God, I, I believe God wants us to do in, in, in the next year. And we bring our best to, to God on this day. Um, uh, I, I want to give a construct for why this church does what this church does. Why we give where we give. Why we do what we do missionally. Why we do it. A lot of it's found here in this text. We, we tend to talk about giving and compassion um, during the Christmas season as a church. Because at its core... Christmas is about a God who gives, yes or no, right? right? Christmas is about a God who came to earth in Jesus to, to bless 
and to extend mercy to anyone who will, we just read it, put their trust in him, put their faith in him. And, and it's easy to lose sight of the blessing nature of God um, with all the stress and all the chaos that is sort of just ingrained into the holiday season. But what made Christmas great was what God got to do. That God got to give, God got to bless for John 3.16, right? The seminal text from the Bible. For God so loved the world that he, come on, say it with me, he, he gave, right? He gave. Christmas shows us that the true heart, the true nature of God is to bless, is to give, is to free, is to, to, to deliver, to, to, to encourage, to, to, to raise up. But, but there's another verse in that text, John 3.16, that that gives a critical understanding of part of the meaning of Christmas, and that's the word son. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, which reminds us that God came to this earth, right, incarnated uh, as a baby, right? A baby boy, which if you think about Christmas in context of, the, uh, of a modernity, like, like now, our time, we think of it as a fun and exciting thing to be a kid because there's, there's nothing like being a kid at Christmas. Come, come on, can I get an amen? Some of you are still kids. You're like, yeah, can't wait, right? Some of your kids at heart, like me, you're like, yeah, still can't wait, right? Um, so, you know, we have these anchor memories from childhood that just we never forget. We forget a lot of things as we get older. By the way, if you haven't started forgetting things, 51-ish is where it happens, okay? <laughs> Actually, about 40-ish is where it started happening for me. But one of my favorite memories, I think I was around 12 years old. My dad has me open this gift, and I felt like Ralphie. It was a gun, man. It was a 22 Magnum gun. Now, this is crazy because my dad, not an outdoorsman, not a fisherman, not a hunter, never was. He's an engineer. He prefers inside. Y'all know what I'm saying? He's an inside guy. And so why is my dad? He didn't buy it for my older brothers. My sister didn't get a gun. For whatever reason, Danny got a gun, Right? And so it's why I am who I am today. Be hunting and knifing, you know, anyways. Um, I'm like, Ralphie, I take the gun out to the woods. We lived out off Marbach. There was nothing out there in those days. I, I draw a little, little target on this paper plate and I take it out there. I put it from about here to where that back wall is. And, and this is why this memory is so powerful. I, I'm aiming to shoot my very first bullet out of this little 22 Magnum gun and out hops Thumper right there, man. What's a brother supposed to do? I didn't, I didn't go to, to bring the meat home for Christmas, but there it was. So my first, some of you are like, I don't like this guy. Thumper went down, everybody. Thumper went down. Sorry, I'm sorry. It's painful now to think about it. I like Thumper, but he was there. And I brought home the meat, and, I, and so I was like, I'm, Mom, I'm Davy Crockett. My, my very first bullet out of this gun. I've never shot a gun before in my life, but look how I was rubbing it on my, my brothers. Like, yeah I, don't, yeah, I didn't get a gun, and yeah, I don't have these kind of skills. They went into the military. I went into the Lord's Army. They probably needed the gun. I didn't. Kids at Christmas, man, I, like that's the memory. For me, the, of all the presents I got, I don't know why that's the one I remember because of Thumper. He gave his life for Christ. <laughs> I'm sorry. 
He didn't. He wasn't for Christ. Um, nothing like being a kid at Christmas. It's a time of hope. It's a time of joy. It's a time of celebration. It's fun. It's laughter a lot of times. But the first Christmas was nothing like that. I think it's important that we kind of dig into this. It's hard for us to imagine what that day was like because of how we've tended to romanticize it now all these years later. It's like the birth looked like, you know, a display at Pottery Barn, right? Like this perfect little thing, but it wasn't this perfect little thing. Instead, we have to imagine a small enclosed space, probably a cave of sorts filled with, with farm animals that are not perfectly clean. <laughs> Come on, everybody. Like, then, then add a teenage girl who's in labor but who has ridden a donkey for several days to get to this place. There, there is no epidural. Ladies, come on, you can feel the pain of this, right? There is no bed. There is no OBGYN, docs. There is no, there is no you know, comfortable bed that can go up and down, right? It's just there. First Christmas was messy, surrounded by family dysfunction. Joseph marries her, but he's not the father of this baby, and it's a weird whole deal for him and all of his family, and things don't get any easier after Jesus is born. Jesus' life is immediately in danger. Um, and, and I just want you to know why, uh, why he was in danger right out of the gate. When Mary sings this song that we just read, everybody knows who's in power, right? Sent the rich away empty, filled the hungry, brought down the prideful, right? Everybody knows who the king is. The king is a man by the name of Herod. He was called Herod the Great. We know a great deal about him, particularly because of a Jewish historian named Josephus, who has written great details about it that we can read anytime you want, right? He's given the title King of the Jews 30 years prior um, by the Roman Senate, and he had to fight to keep that title because kings rose, kings fall, right? Um, there was uh, Caesar, uh, uh, Julius Caesar. He had hitched his start at Julius. Julius gets assassinated by Mark Anthony. Anthony gets overthrown by, uh, by uh, Caesar Augustus. And so all, the, all through those transition, Herod hangs on to his power because he knows how the things work. He's married to at least 10 wives, maybe 12. He has 43-ish children that we know of. All of his marriages were politically motivated. They were about holding on and hanging on to power. He had one wife that Josephus said he loved. It was Miriam, but he was really strange with Miriam. She, had, she, she had, gave him five children in seven years. He didn't trust her, so he had her executed. He didn't trust her mother in, his mother in law. He had her executed. Fellas, no ideas on that one, right? He, he, he had two of his brothers-in-law executed. He had two sons that were born to him by Miriam. He thought they were getting a little ambitious. He had them smothered. Come on. His barber stuck up for those babies, those boys. He had the barber taken out. On his deathbed, he has one of his other sons in prison. Five days before he dies, his, his son in prison doesn't know that he's not dead yet. He asks the, the, the guard to he try to bribe him to let him out. The guard tells Herod, Herod has him executed. This is the guy in power when Jesus Christ of, is born. He wants to be known for huge building projects. He had a nickname. He, it was called Herod the Great. Guess who gave him that name? Come on, he did, right? right? Part of why the temple was so controversial in Jesus' day is because it was Herod who built it. It was called Herod's Temple. Not the, the temple of God. It was Herod's Temple. He built it on the back of the poor. His taxation, his economic uh, policies crushed the, the, the people in Jesus' day. So when you read the Gospels, 
And you see all these parables about a, a rich man went away, a landowner went away, he came back. When you see all these parables, the reason Jesus brings these parables to light is because that's the economic reality of the day. The people, the, the people, particularly people like Mary and her family and Joseph and his family, they've had their ancestral land taken from them by the Romans, by the wealthy Jew, Jewish people. They become peasants, serfs in a sort of fiefdom. The wealthy, particularly Herod and his sons later on, were bloated uh, economically on the backs of, of their suffering. Fabulously wealthy, Herod the Great, king of the Jews. He knows how it works. He watches them rise, he watches them fall. He sees people come to power, he sees them come. Through it all, he hangs on all the way, outsmarting, outfoxing, out intimidating. He knew, which brings us to the next text, Matthew. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, now you know who he is. You know what he's about. Magi from the east, these are the wise men. We talked about him last year. Came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born, not gifted, but born king of the Jews? Problem, there is already a king of the Jews. Name is Herod. Where is the one who's been born king of the Jews? Now, just get this. They walk into this town, the Magi. We don't know what we call them, the three wise men, but there might have been 20 of them. There's no saying that there's three, right? There could have been any of them. Huge entourage, wealthy. They're making a big splash as they roll into Jerusalem. They're asking everybody. They're asking everybody, hey, where's the one? Where's the one? They assume everybody knows what they know. We've been following this star. It's led us here. Where is he? We saw a star when it rose, and we've come to worship him, right? Now, now, these strangers come and they ask, where is the one born the king of the Jews? But this is a political title. Nobody gets born the king of the Jews. It's Herod's title. It cost him blood. It cost him a lot of intrigue. Then these strangers show up and ask, where is the one born king of the Jews? Which is why this next verse says, when King Herod heard this, he was what? Disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. Because if Herod ain't happy, ain't nobody safe. You see this? Sorry for my poor grammar, all right? <laughs> Meanwhile, Mary, little Mary, hanging out with Elizabeth, sings her song, he has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. Who do you think that could be, right? He's brought down rulers from their thrones. Who's on the throne? He sent the rich away empty. Who's rich? See, nobody's singing that song. Bing Crosby's not on the radio singing. He sent the rich empty, right? right? So when, when Herod hears this rumor that the true king of the Jews has been born, he, see, he seeks to find this child and destroy him. When he can't find him, he has his soldiers going in around Bethlehem and orders that all the boys two years old and under are killed. There was a cry heard, a wailing heard from Bethlehem. And Mary and Joseph have to flee to Egypt. The first Christmas was not like the ones we experience. It was, it was marked by, in this case, violence against children. And for Jesus, life doesn't get any easier after that, right? He, his family has to flee to Egypt. They have to go as foreigners into a foreign country. Nobody's waiting for them there, right? Which isn't easy. Growing up isn't easy, right? Especially for children in Jesus' day, first century. There's all this history about this. Children were not seen as a delight or as joy like they are now. They, they, the, the fathers had the power just to take them, go, I don't want this kid, put him out in the street. 
They would take them to the forum, the Roman forum. They would abandon them there. People could come and take the kids, do with them whatever they want. And it was against this situation that Jesus is born in Bethlehem. Now, I bring this up, and I'm going to get this, I'm going to make this a little clearer, I hope, before we get done here. He has lifted up the humble, Mary says, and he has brought down the proud. And one thing we can know for sure is that Christmas is proof that God cares about those who feel forgotten. Think about the first, the Annunciation, we call it, right? When the angels come and declare glory to God in the highest, who do they do that to? Shepherds, the lowest of the low in that society. They're the first to hear the, annou- the announcement. Think about Mary, Elizabeth, both of them self-describe. If you read Mar- uh, Elizabeth's words, she calls herself humble, like she's blown away that God would bless her with this little baby boy. She's blown away, the humbleness of it. Think about where Jesus is born, Bethlehem. Like, think about the worst small town around here. Don't say it because somebody's from there. You'll offend them, right? But think about that. That's what Bethlehem is. It's nothing. It's a, it's a nothing town in the middle of a nowhere kind of a place. And, and think about this. Caesar Augustus, who's in power when Jesus comes, he, he makes a decree that all the world be taxed. But this whole point, the whole point, Caesar doesn't know this. The whole point is to move one little couple, Joseph and Mary, to Bethlehem so that the words of the prophet Micah, who said that the Messiah would be born in in Bethlehem, the whole world gets moved around so two unknown people can go end up having a baby in Bethlehem. God moves the whole world so two people will get where they're supposed to go. Christmas shows us that God cares so much about the so-called little people. In fact, in fact, I read this this morning, so I had him put it in here. And just look at this. Luke 3, in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, so this is the guy who's ruling the world. When Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Pontius Pilate Roman is ruling Judea. Right? Herod is the Tetrarch of Galilee. This is Herod, uh, the one before. This is his son. Herod, Tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, Tetrarch of Eteria and Trachonitis, and then and Licinius. These are all, by the way, sons of, of, of the original Herod the Great. Tetrarch of Abilene. During the high priesthood, he's going to make, make us know who the rulers of the religious elite are of Annas and Caiaphas. And so, so Luke is very careful to tell us who's in power all in the world, in the, in the, in the, in the country, at, at the governor level, and, and even in the, in the temple. Here's all the people who are in charge, and notice what he says next. And the word of God came to John, not to, not to them, not to him, not to all the famous powerful people. The word came to John, son of Zechariah, son of Elizabeth. Where was John? In the wilderness. Luke says, here's all the people in power in their fancy palaces and all their fancy things, but the word of God bypasses all of them and comes to little John who's out eating bugs in the wilderness. That's what he was doing, by the way. What I'm trying to tell you is that this story, the song of Mary shows us a God who shows up in surprising ways and in surprising places he go, God is often most involved in the places and with the people nobody even knows exist. 
God's eyes are often most on the people most forgotten, and he's willing to touch anyone, but the center of his attention is often where nobody else is focusing, out on the margins, the places, the people nobody's paying attention to. And this is important to remember because it is the reason why this church is wired up the way that it is. So Christmas is not just a story of a God becoming a child. It's a, it's a God who come, becomes a child in a forgotten town from forgotten people, marginalized people, in nowheresville, nowhere people, God shows up there to change the entire world. So whatever we are to make about Christmas, there is something in this story that points us as believers, as a church, to what God, where God's heart is oriented, where God's attention is focused, and where ours should be as well. And from that day, the first Christmas, Jesus orients his life towards the people in the margins, the people who are forgotten, not to the powerful, not to the wealthy, not to the, not to the, 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 the seeming people who are controlling the world. He orients his life for the forgotten, the hurting, the broken, the missing, the, the, the prison, the imprisoned. So, so why do I tell you all of this? Because while Christmas reminds us that, that there, are children, there were children at risk, it also reminds us of God's heart for children. So when Jesus starts to do his ministry, when at 30 years old, he, we don't know anything about him. From, from we, we, we see a story about him when he's 12, nothing until he's 30. 30, he starts to talk. He starts to do ministry. And, and in, here's one of the, the, the cases where he does this. This is Matthew's gospel. He's teaching a group of people. He calls a little child to him. He placed the child among them, all of the disciples, all of the, the powerful people that had showed up. There was a religious elite there. He places a child in the middle of them. He said... Truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, meaning just trusting, trusting, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. He says, therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child, meaning it's not going to be the people fighting for position and power and whatever. He says, until you take the lowly position of this child, that person is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name, say it with me, welcomes me. Whoever will put their heart and their attention and their focus on people who are lowly or for children specifically, you're doing it as unto me. Now, what's Jesus talking about here? Is he saying that God pays attention to kids because they're cute and innocent always? Come on, parents. Because they are sometimes, but they're also messy and, and stubborn and needy, and they believe the world revolves entirely around them. Come on, everybody. And that's just the teenagers. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding, teenagers. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Sorry. Sorry. They're like, bro, we had your back until that, right? And Jesus says, and whoever, whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. When we consider the Christmas story, this is just a fragment of it, okay? It's much grander. When we consider the Christmas story, we see how very important it is for us as a church, as a group of believers, to have a heart of compassion for children. Christmas reminds us that God didn't send a messenger or a program or a set of resources. God came in person. God came in person. He didn't just send money. He didn't just send out resources. He came in person to rescue and redeem lost sons and daughters. 
And Jesus says at one point in Matthew's gospel, Matthew 25, he says, and whatever you did for the least one of these, you've done it for me. So Mary sings her song, and her first Christmas carol indicates why Jesus is coming. He's coming to make the wrongs right. He's coming to help the poor and the forgotten and the marginalized. He's coming to fight injustice. All of this kingdom language up there coming down, changing the world as it exists, right? And, and see, initially there were only two people in the whole world who understood what was going on. One of them was the most powerful man in that little country, Herod the Great. One of them was a powerless, penniless Jewish girl, maybe 14, 15 years old. One sees Jesus as the hope of the world. The other sees him as a, danger, as a, as a threat to his hard-won power base. Everybody else, most everybody else anyways, kind of missed it. They miss it. The, the truth is, you and I have the capacity to miss it as well. The best of us do, right? We chase the shadows. We miss the substance. Our story is often one of overconsumption and out-of-control consumerism. I'm guilty. I'm guilty. We worship less. We spend more. We give less. We struggle more. We become lost in crowded stores and debt. Could it be that Christmas Day, God would come near again, and he, he's here always? But could it, could it be that we missed the point yet again? Or what if instead of just being bystanders to the Christmas story, observing it as spectators, we get into the story and we play our role in it. What if we, like the three magi or the 10 magi or however many there were, we came to worship and offer our gifts to God in flesh? What if we came and offer ourselves, not just money, but our, our talents and our, our problem solving and our skills and our spiritual gifts and our, and our spiritual promptings and our stories to do, what if we offered all of that to do the work of the gospel at Christmas? What if it was truly a compassionate Christmas? What if instead of more and more stuff, we decided enough and we brought our best to his work and his heart became our heart and his passions became our passions? This is where it gets real. This is where it gets fleshed out. This is where, as believers, if you call yourself one, we incarnate Jesus' mission, his gospel. Jesus was God in flesh. He was incarnated, right? That word means um, with meat, right? Proof that God was not a vegetarian, everybody. Come on. Just, sorry, redneck joke there a little bit, right? Right? The power of his spirit, though, works inside of us. We become his hands and feet. How can my life, how can what I have, how can God use it to impact the lives of people, children, young adults, young people, young adults, right? Teenagers, in San Antonio, in Texas, all around the world. This church is, is oriented, wired up to how do we bless children? How do we bless teenagers? How do, we, how do we disciple young adults? How do we help the next generation? How do we do that? How do we get better at that? What do we do? What do we need to spend? What do we need to buy? What do we need to build? What do we need to do so that what God's heart is becomes our heart? And that's what's at the heart of this, of all of this. I, I wanna say to you, just in these last few moments, um, that, that last year's offering, last year's legacy offering, along with monies that came in throughout the, this year, I just want to show you where that went. I just want you to know 
why we do what we do, but also to say thank you and to celebrate what God has done through all of you, those of you who are with us online that, that give here as well. I just want to show you a couple of things. Uh, let, let me just switch gears here so I don't have to turn around. They're going to remove this so you guys can see all of this. Um, this is a kind of a praise report. Um, these are our partners, Urban Faith Mission, which is uh, right near downtown. Uh, through Fill a Backpack, we sent 110 backpacks filled with school supplies that cost about $50 a piece, each one you guys did. This is, this is the impact of this church. Fill a bag, Thanksgiving dinner, 141 families, but actually more came in after we made this artwork, and it was quite a bit more than that that you guys gave. $50 again per bag. Serve day, 60 hours of LP manpower. We gave them $14,900 in addition to what you guys gave through those backpacks and stuff. It was actually $26,905. Agora served a 120 hours of manpower there, just helping them do the stuff that you guys did. A lot of you were there. 11000 in cash, $11,128 given to their mission. San Antonio Food Bank, you guys, uh, right at Easter, uh, gave $5,000. We sent that to them. That buys tens of thousands of pounds of food. Plus, you brought in a ton of food, literally tons of food. Uh, Carlos Kuhn Elementary, uh, we served there. Uh, uh, 75 hours of manpower. We sent 25 Thanksgiving bags there, uh, 30 backpacks filled with school supplies. Uh, Southwind Fields, which is run by Leslie, who's uh, been part of our team for many, many years. Uh, uh, we've given $5,600 to support their mission. It's a wonderful mission. Daily Bread, they work with young adults, by the way. Daily Bread, serve day, 90 hours of LP manpower. Sam Ministries, serve day, 90 hours of LP manpower. And I was there with that team. It was amazing. Uh, $441 given that day for, to, to do what we did. Home Church, last year, we were talking about build, uh, doing a brand new campus uh, uh, starting a campus down the road uh, of LifePoint. We had a building secured. We were ready to go. You guys gave towards it. We went to go start getting ready for that. The, 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 the company pulled the building back. We're like, we don't want to do this after all. It caused us to pause. We prayed about it. We met as a team and we realized it wasn't what God wanted us to do. We thought it was the plan. We, we will still do it someday. It wasn't the plan, but we were like, we took up, we took up money. We got to do something. And so we went all in with Home Church. These were people part, that were part of our church. They went out in October, started a brand new church. We gave them $17,500. They had 150 people at their launch in October, brand new people. They baptized five of them that same day, which was amazing. We also gave $13,000 worth of equipment, trailers and gear, and sent people to train. So $30,500 to home church. Thank you, by the way, very much. The Good Hood, which used to be called S.A. Hills, uh, we just gave them a check for $3,500 this week to help with their affordable Christmas program. The Pregnancy Care Center, we're just starting to get involved with them, and we're going to get for when parents and when, when, when young women uh, have a, an unexpected pregnancy, but they want to keep that child, we wanna, we're, we're there to help with them. Our partners nationally, Crew, Campus Crusade for Christ, we sponsor a guy named Jake Ash, who's a missionary in New York City to college kids. He's doing a fantastic job. Uh, ARC, the Associated for Related Churches, $4,800 given to support the launch of new churches. Tony Miller is our, our missionary in Lithuania. $12,400 that we've given, and much of that turned into a rescue mission for Ukrainian refugees. Convoy of Hope, which is another partner, $3,000 to give, given to support hurricane relief in Florida just a, a month or so ago. Uh, our global partners, Imus Home in the Philippines, we've given $48,400 this year to support their mission there. 119 gorgeous kids that are getting everything they need. Uh, Centro Cristiano Renacer, I don't know if I said that 
right in Costa Rica, $12,500 to support their mission. Rise Haiti, this is our partner, Benit June, who was here back in October, $16,243 given to support their mission. Doug Pittman, missionary to Ukraine. He had a trip, he lives here, but he goes over there. We gave two grand to help him. $3,000 to Hunter Harrison, whose family is part of this church as he went to Ukraine. World Vision, we support two kids at World Vision, $1,200. One Child Matters, this is all of you. 56 children, $39 a month, that's $26,000 a year. You add it all up together and it's $220,000, the impact that this church has made in this city, in the state, around the world. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Why, why? Because God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever should believe in him, children, young adults, anybody, would not perish but have everlasting life. All of this because Jesus Christ came. He showed us that his heart, that his attention is on the people that are often forgotten by others. So we, we also have our hearts and our attentions and our focus on the same people that Jesus had. Does that make sense, everybody, why we do what we do? Two other things, and then Pastor Andy's coming to just wrap it up. As we look forward to next year, like today people will give. There's no pressure, by the way. There's no pressure ever. God may put pressure on you, but it won't be coming from me, okay, everybody? Um, but if, if, if you give in the legacy offering today, two things that we're really kind of focused on for the year. Number one, I'm his home. I'm his home is, is, is a home for 119 children. I got to go in October. You've heard me talk about it. It was amazing what God's done, what God is doing there. We're gonna get to be, we're gonna be a bigger part of that in October the, the 23rd through the 30th. We're gonna go, you're welcome to come with us. We'll give you more information about that. Um, one, of, one of the things that I wanna do is I wanna do a 5K run for Imus Home. They do it in Houston where, where, where Imus Home was birthed. Um, they raise about $100,000 through that. We probably won't get there right, right out of the gate, but I'm going to ask a bunch of you to help us to do a 5K run and get all your friends out. And I'd love to raise an additional twenty-five dollars or 30000 just for that. Uh, but it won't even come out of our pockets. We're just going to raise it w- w- through, through, through helping. But there's a community center that got started this week. I've told you about it before. I saw pictures of it going up. It's already going up. It's, it's tall. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be able to serve 400 additional children, not, not, not orphans, but kids from around there. It's a very poverty-stricken area. And we're going to be able to bring uh, food, clothing, medication, eyeglasses to an additional 400 kids. And most importantly, we're going to be able to tell them about Jesus and how very much he loves them and how he has a plan for their life and how he wants to rescue them and redeem them. And so a big, huge part of this offering, whatever it is today, is going to go to help finish that project so that when we go in October, we'll get to see exactly where our money went. Come on, somebody. Aren't you grateful for that? Amen. Last thing. We, we, are, we need more space. We, um, the trustees decided we would try to, to move forward on building a new building across the way here. We got artwork done. We kind of shopped it out. We got the, the bills back from the contractors and we're like, oh, do what now? And we were like, pause, pump the brakes, pump the brakes. But we, we couldn't stop and do nothing. So we have this dream 
to put a space back over here. It's going to kind of look like that right there. Um, it's going to be 4,500 square feet. We'll, we'll do, we'll do group, uh, students in there. We'll do young adults in there. We'll have special events there. We'll do Freedom Conference, which was mind-blowingly good yesterday. God, we'll do it in there. We'll have small groups in there. We'll do growth track in there. Do we have another picture of that? Um, this is just being drawn right now. I don't know why it's called LifePoint Coffee Company. I, I'm like, bro, um, we'll have some coffee. Come on. Um, but we're going to be able to do a lot of cool stuff that, we, that we're having to tear these chairs out and move stuff around. It's a lot of, a lot of wear and tear on this building. We'll be able to move it into that space. And, it, and, and, and you guys don't know this, but often in this service, uh, it's not every week, but a lot of times there's uh, sometimes up to 100 people out there in, 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 in August. And then also in October, we had to stop people at the front door. We couldn't let any more people in, which is the worst possible idea for a church. But we have codes and vi- we can't violate them. And we literally said no more room. So this would help us be able to have, when we're in those seasons, when we're overflowing, a, a much, much better space than, come on, our lobby uh, for people. If you're out there today, we're thinking about you today, okay? We're going we're gonna to do this. So this is what we're going to do. This is where part of this offering will go, just a seed. It's going to cost more than whatever comes in today. Come on, praise God. But, but we're, we're just going to, we're dreaming about that. And so um, I'm going to ask our ushers to come really quickly. We don't usually have past buckets. Literally, everybody, look at me. Zero pressure. You may have given online. I just feel like uh, an offering should be, it's been three years since we passed a bucket. I hope you guys remember how to do it. All right. Um, you can do that online. You can do it at the kiosk. You can do it all the way through the end of the year. And I just want to say, everybody, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. God bless you for who you are, for what you do. And we thank you so much for all, all that you do. God bless. Amen. Hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If this ministry has impacted you in any way and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, please visit lifepointsa.com slash give to make a donation. We hope you have a great rest of your week and we hope to see you soon at one of our Sunday worship experiences. God bless.